Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. AJ Coleman is the author of Keep Those Feet Moving, a widower's eight-step guide to coping with grief and thriving against the odds. Throughout AJ's life, he has had to overcome tremendous challenges. Firstly, as a child, AJ was frequently bullied for his hearing impediment, but instead of letting social challenges define him, AJ strived to overcome them. Then, in 2009, AJ faced the most painful challenge of all, losing his wife Corey to brain cancer when their daughter was just one year old. AJ started the Keep Those Feet Moving blog in 2013 to share his advice, experiences and philosophical wisdom with the world. He was inspired to write his book by the encouragement of close friends and family members who were all astonished by how AJ was able to stay strong after losing Corey. Today, AJ lives in the suburb of Chicago. He is remarried with a blended family and focuses his time on raising his family and helping others overcome challenges. AJ's story is truly an inspiration for all of us to just keep those feet moving, no matter how difficult it may seem at the time. This is the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hi, welcome AJ Coleman. Let's give you your full title, AJ Coleman to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, thank you for coming on board. It's been a little while since we spoke last. Um, So look, I've given a brief synopsis about who you are as such, but tell us about you and your journey and how you came to write Keep Those Feet Moving. I never thought I would uh, ever write a book if you would have asked me years ago about (laughs) writing. I, I probably would have thought that it was the most foreign thing that you can think about. Um, but sometimes life has unexpected turns and leads you to new journeys. And uh, when I had lost my wife due to brain cancer back in 2009, I started thinking about how can I cope, how can I grieve, and how can I overcome my own uh, challenges. And I'm thinking about my daughter, who at that time was young, and really has no memory of her mother from a physical standpoint. You know, how how can old I was your daughter? How old was your she, daughter? She was uh, 16 months old when her mother passed. Wow, 16 months, Jesus. Yeah, so I, I tried to think a little bit different, and I started writing the book really just more as a memoir for her, my thoughts, and kind of gather what her mother was like, and Little by little, things started to kind of come together and was a therapeutic process for me 
really opening up because I'm not somebody that opens up and shares my feelings, especially with people I don't know. But the book was really important for not only for my daughter to see, but it enabled others who have gone through similar grief to really understand that they're not alone. And uh, here we wow. are with the book. For one, for a person who doesn't open up and express himself to other people and is private, right? You put it out there in your book. You really put it out there in the book. But like, um, so d- did you write every day? Did you like, was that what you did? You sort of sat down, your daughter would go to bed and you would write. How did you do this? It, it was interesting. So I wrote a very rough draft. Um, it was actually 13 chapters, my lucky number 13. And I'm not it sure. It was very rough. I'm suspicious. Uh, suspicious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not suspicious. But, like, um, I, yeah, I don't have any 13s in my world at all. I'm, oh. What's the word I'm looking for? It's too early in the morning for me here in Melbourne. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember the word. What is it? What's the word? Um, where you don't have 30, where you can't, where you don't like number 13 in your world. Oh, um, oh superstitious. I'm superstitious. Yep. I'm superstitious. So, yeah, don't do 13. Wow. Uh, wow. Good luck I'm, for uh, you there. I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. Oh, really? I was born on a, I was born on a 13th and I turned, uh, 21 on Friday the 13th. I turned oh 16 on Friday the 13th. So, uh, um 13's a lucky number for me. Wow, but, it is. Um, oh, okay, fair enough. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what happened with the book was very raw, you know, just airing out my thoughts, airing out my feelings, and I really didn't know what to expect. I started shopping around to different editors, and two of them politely declined. It just wasn't them. They thought it was almost too raw. And then I joined up with um uh editors company like book launchers and they really saw potential they interviewed me gather my thoughts and assigned a writing coach to me to help me kind of find a voice in the system and I had a really strong mentor and he challenged me to pretty much revamp what I'd written from a, a raw material and go deeper and even though I didn't want to go deeper he pushed me to go deeper and um the first chapter was tough. The second yeah. chapter was a little bit easier. Uh, but the entire book, uh, I would say from the raw part to the final part that was written in like two months. I wow. every night every night I wrote, I worked together and sent it off to my editor. He reviewed it, gave me feedback. I'm writing the next chapter with the information. And just to get going, I mean, writing a book is costly too, right? And, you know, sometimes but, people take hours and days to write simple chapters. Well, this is the thing, right? Writing a book is like a podcast, right? Everyone thinks it's easy. And then they start, you start doing it. And somebody said to me, writing the book is the easy part. Sending it and getting it edited is the hard part, right? Editing a book can take 18 months, right? Yes. And, um, that's the hard part because you've written it. You think, right, I'm done. That's all good. Here you go. And then it's backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, editing it, changing stuff. Oh, um, so, yeah. No, hats off to you. They say everyone's yeah, got a book you. in them. But, um, 
I haven't found mine yet. I prefer to be <laughs> talking, but it's all good. So look, how did, how do you, how did you how did you deal with the grief then? I mean, writing was one of them though, but what like they say there's seven stages of grief. Is that what you experienced? I'm really sure if I experienced every stage, you know, a lot of it was more sort of my doing on my own, trying to find my way, trying to understand where I was at. I spent my entire life sort of, I guess, preparing for grief. Um, Growing up, I had a little bit of a difficult childhood with some of the, uh, from a disability all the way up to trying to overcome other challenges. And it just put me in a position where I only knew one way to go. And that's like full speed ahead. Oh my God. And when my wife passed away, I knew I had to be strong for our daughter. I knew yeah. that in my private moments, I can break down. But to everyone else in the outside world, I had to remain strong. And I realized that people were looking to me to lead sort of them through and they feed off of my emotion. They feed off of my energy. So if I'm poised, I'm calm, I think it just helps people go through that grieving process. And I know that if I was hysterical, crying, others would sort of that kind of engage, almost like mimic what we're watching. Um, But I did not have any support. I would say to kind of walk me through those grief stages. I, I just learned it on my own. I went at my own pace. And at the end, it, it's really just an opportunity for me to help others not follow the same footsteps. I think sometimes I might have been in a different place if I had gone through some counseling understanding. But when you're a single parent and everybody's expecting you to fail. because When do you get the time? When do you get the time as well, right? This is the thing. So yeah. <clears throat> so you didn't have any family around you as such? I did have some family with me. Um, I was very close with my aunt and uncle who provided okay. some guidance. You know, my parents provided some support as well. My uh, wife's family did as well. But in terms of like having somebody to really sit down and air out my feelings and my thoughts, it wasn't like that at all it was just again trying to show that i can handle not only being a single dad working a full-time career but also grieving everything at once i I, and again it goes back to my childhood past where i've always felt that i had to overcome any obstacle um so you know having great support you know can only get you so far yeah a lot of it you have to find the will within yourself to push you to overcome, to push you to that next step. And it's not easy. It's not for everybody. But you have to find that inspiration, that motivation from somewhere. So how did you, though? What was like, how did, yeah, how did you, know, you do that? How did you find that? Because, like, I can imagine there must be times where, and and it would hit you at different times, right? So you would you'd be somewhere where everything would be normal, but, you know, there'd be a memory or there'd be something that would hit you. And then how do you, like, not break down? How do you not go crazy, for want of a better word? That's a, that's a fair question. I, I think a lot of it actually stems from, again, my past. 
my childhood where it's just growing up was always a top. I was always trying to be one step ahead of everybody else. And through the disability that I had with my hearing impairment, that it was almost like people expected me to fail. People expected me to struggle. And I was always trying to prove to them that I'm not going to fail. Yeah. I'm not going to struggle. And then the same translated to grief is that same mentality that prepared me. And I knew, again, you know, when you're on that stage, people are looking. Yeah. And people are making, I will say, in my private moment, you know, very early on, I had some breakdowns and I come home and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? But my inspiration was really our daughter. Yeah. You know, staying strong for her, enjoying my moments with her, showing her that what she has lost, we can still gain to some capacity. And she yeah. is really my inspiration that to move me through some of these really challenging times when I had nobody I can talk to. Well, this is the thing. I like and this next question is gonna sound really crazy, right? But what like what was the hardest part? I mean, I know the hardest part was probably losing your wife, right? But like what after you lost her, what was the hardest part? the hardest thing for you to deal with? I think it's the hardest part was more um, managing other people's reactions when oh, they wow. found out that, oh, you're a single dad raising a young girl? Like, how does that happen? How do you overcome certain you know issues like going to the men's restroom, right? To go yeah. to a changing station that doesn't exist. Um, talking to different people who had playdates with, you know, children where they play together and, you know, having the being a presence there was always still a challenge because it's not like the, the mom and mom interaction. It's a dad and a mom interaction and yeah. certain things like that. So I think a lot of times just managing those expectations and sort of the culture shock because I was only 30 three years old at the time and wow. what did I know about being a dad right but here I am trying to navigate through the channels of that and um it it was interesting I, I learned a lot I, I've learned to really appreciate what moms go through on a daily basis and understand that they are truly superheroes and what they go through and I'm trying to balance both but I you know, as you know, when you're trying to do both, you can't get yeah. anywhere. So, no, and like, but also, you're a man who's dealing with grief, who has a 16 month old daughter. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on in my throat. 16 month old daughter who also has to work, right? Because it's, and you're working in an uh, environment that is basically um, not geared up for men to, be looking after children, right? hundred percent of the time. Like for me, being a single mum, I don't know if it's expected, but being a mum, if your child's ill, if your child's sick, if you're doing what, like it, I can go, I don't feel as though I can't say to my workplace, oh, um, my child's ill, I need to go, or, uh, you know, something's happened at school, I need to pick him up. I don't feel guilt. I don't get looked at in a particular way um, where people at work go, oh, what are you doing? You're like, you're 
you're supposed to be doing your job. But like I can imagine for you that must have been pretty tough. I mean, and we, we it's 33, you were 33 as well. So all of that career building, everything. It, it was a challenge. Um, I actually had come back to work looking yeah. to escape and, and really change my mindset and kind of focus on something that I can accomplish instead of taking the time off to really grieve and to always be thinking about. And actually, I was laid off. Uh, not oh, too long wow. after, due to some of the changes here in the U.S. with the economy and the the recession yeah. back, and you know that was a challenge. And then finding work on top of that, and trying to have the storyline that hey, I'm a single dad when I leave in the United States, it's really a challenge as a single parent because you're expected to work x amount of hours and you're trying to push your career you're trying to maintain balance with your children but a lot of times there are a lot of people that just are not supportive of no. the single family or even parents who <laughs> are together and, and and you have a child that needs attention where one person can go in the other it, it's it's really different and but it, you make it work. You, you find things. And, I, and I've and learned that I have some really good people that I worked with that understood. And there were some other people that didn't understand. But I knew it wasn't my job to try to convince them to understand. Either they got it or they don't. Yeah. That's sort of the mentality I had to take and shrug. My daughter is the most important person for me. Whatever she needed, I was there. And if there were times that I couldn't be there because of something, I had someone that I can call and yeah. have somebody attend that. No, I know, because that's so important. That's so important to actually um, to have that, at least have a, a little network, a little village as such to support you. Um, and, and, I mean, one of the biggest things I find is I feel guilty calling on other people to help you out right I don't know if you went through that but like um it's almost like oh I don't want to I don't want to ask this person again to do x y and z but when you've got no one that's what you need to do isn't it it is hard to ask for help because again people look at you and say well I told you that person couldn't do it on their own right they need more support they knew yeah. that they couldn't do something and I, I think there's a part of us that carries ourselves very highly, right? You know, we, we feel like we're superheroes. We can do everything. And then when we do ask, it's not because we're weak or we're frustrated or we just, it's just a conflict and we can't be in two places yeah. at once. And I think there is just that perception that we have as single parents that or you need help, you know, that means you can't do it on your own. And sometimes people take that same perception and carry it into the workforce environment yeah. and say, well, if this person can't handle their child or they have need help here, can they do the work there? So a lot of it, it's just unfortunate stereotyping, I think. Yeah. But ask, asking for help is always, you know, you don't want to be perceived with that perception base that somebody else is going to put that label on you. And I think that's why it's so difficult as parents. And that's why single parents, they rely on each other for yes. that support. 
Well, and also we understand, so other single parents understand how bloody hard it is <laughs> and how challenging it is. And you're not only navigating your child, children, mm-hmm. right, but you're also navigating, I mean, you not in your case, but you're navigating other people or ex-partners or whatever and and dealing with that, right? So, yeah, that's full on, full on. Um was there anything that surprised you about all of this? I think one of the biggest surprises was more so looking back as to how I was able to navigate through a lot of the uncertainty and really looking at that accomplishment as my own personal achievement. I mean, there are nights where you just struggle to get through mentally because of the void, because maybe the child or you missing what things could be like. There are other aspects that where we go out and have fun, we take vacations and we do things. And and that's called living life. And a lot of times we talk about growing up and we grow up pretty darn quickly in these situations when you come with grief with small children, even with just the regular children who may be at the adult age that you're still looking to lead. I think the biggest surprise for me was just looking back just how far I've come. And, you know, it's funny, when you write a book, you have a dedication. And you, you sort of dedicate the book to somebody that's of importance. And as you get more, I guess, readers and you get more of a following that's when people get a little creative with some of their dedication and i was once told in my workplace that i was a terrible i didn't know how to write and i thought about dedicating my book to the uh the person yeah in a derogatory sense who said i couldn't write and i chose not to because i was thinking about my daughter but when you look back at the accomplishments you know like, hey, during this process, I wrote a book. During this process, I was able to navigate my career into a different aspect. I was able to get my daughter, who is now 15 years old, getting yeah. ready to drive. And, and all these things I look back, and I'm just proud of those accomplishments. And I know a lot of people who are sitting in my position are also, they don't take the time to celebrate those small wins and look back. And that's where I think the biggest surprises are. It's like, we got here and we got here somehow. I know. And that's right, right? We got here somehow, right? You just, you get on with it. When you're in the moment, um, it's bloody hard. And then you look back at it and you go, wow. Because I, I look back over the last six years and I go, okay, it's been really tough. And when I recount some of the things that I've done and been through, right, and you go, wow, I forgot about that. I forgot that that was, like, so bloody hard. That was so, like, a, you know, a fearful situation to be in. And, um, yeah, and we sort of got through it. My son's fine. He's doing well at school and all of the things that, you as a parent would want, right? And as a single parent, when I started on the single parent journey, and I don't know if it was the same as you, but I was like, oh, single parent kids, like kids that come from divorces, right? They end up in crime, taking drugs, doing X, Y, and Z, right? And I was like, 
and my kid's only seven. So, I mean, you know, hopefully he won't go down that avenue, but you don't know, right? But he's doing so well. He's thriving. And so you sort of sit there and go, so that myth, that's a myth, right? I, I mean, I don't know. What did you think? As parents, I, I think we're harder on ourselves than we yeah. should be, right? It's like when we were younger and we're taking our child to daycare for the day, we feel so guilty about dropping them off at yeah. 7 o'clock in the morning and picking them up at 6 p.m. because of our work schedules or something else. But our children, they're excited. They're happy to be there. Like they flourish hanging out with the other kids and just chatting away. And as parents, we... Sometimes we're harder on ourselves with that aspect, and yeah. they do turn out well. But I also think there is that connectivity that we have as single parents with our children where they have more one-on-one time or perhaps one authoritative person in my situation where you know my wife wasn't there. Same as mine, no? <laughs> But yeah, but we we have that closeness today that my daughter and I have. But I want her to come and tell me those things and tell me things that I always say, just tell me what it is. We'll figure out as we go along. Exactly. You're not going to get in trouble. And, and she's starting to ask some tough questions, but they do turn out well. And I really do believe that myth is just based on movies, maybe shows. But we work hard as parents every day to set the example and set the tone. And I do think our children mimic the actions that we have. So if we're strong and poised, the children grow up to be strong and poised. If we break down and we have um, behavioral concerns as adults, the child may develop that because that's all they know. And I think we have that opportunity from ground day one to really influence them to change that myth that's out there so how did you deal with having a daughter right like you're a dad right there are a lot of things that mums and daughters do that like your daughter wouldn't have experienced right but like like nail salons and various different like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, so, it, it is so, a challenge yeah yeah I was gonna say how did you how did you deal with that and there were obviously puberty and various different other things like that that girls go through that dads normally don't have to deal with the icky puberty stuff and questions and boys and all of that malarkey how did you deal with it you know one of the things that we do in our household we just go with the flow my daughter and I, we just go with it. And that's something I tried to teach her from early on. It just go with it. We'll figure things out. And when, you know, it comes down to certain things like the nail salon, right? I, I can't replicate the same experience she would have, you know, with her mom or something like that. You know, it's a special bonding that moms and children have when they go to the salon where they sit together yeah it might be a little awkward now there are people that get their nails done and all that other stuff too so there's nothing but for my daughter machine gun kelly don't even go there all right yeah she she's just like uh okay dad i I drop her off i sit there in the waiting room dealing with all the fumes that are coming out of all areas and just kind of cringing you know 
but she's there at the little table and getting her nails done and enjoying it, but it's not the same experience. Uh, but as a single dad raising a daughter, I mean, you do have that bond, but there are some areas that you do get yourself stuck with. Some of the, the medical concerns, the things that I necessarily wouldn't think about as a dad, you know. Um, I, I got lucky dressing her because here in the United States, sometimes, you know, the first couple of years, all the outfits match. Um, so I was able to go shopping with her and at least know that the pants that I picked out, there's a matching top that goes with it. Oh, um, I had thought of at, that. But if you look at all the pictures of her growing up uh, when she was little, you can just see she's always in like polo shirts, very well dressed up. Because I, I didn't know, I didn't know how else to dress her because again, you're thinking about the perception of others, right? And if I oh, put yeah. her in a t-shirt, did that mean I'm dressing her down? Um, you know, putting her in a sundress was important because you wanted to teach her a certain thing. So yeah. um, there were some challenges like that, right? It's just like, how do I know what's proper? How do I know what's not proper? And trying to teach her to be ladylike in certain aspects, certain respect and being polite. Um, she's very talkative. She's always been talkative, my daughter. That um, my son. There were... There were times where we, I would take her to the men's room to I know because because at the end of the day, right, like my son comes into the ladies with me, but like it's normal, right? And I like and, and also he's seven, right? So I at seven, I go, not sure I'm comfortable with him yeah. going into a men's room on his own, right? And I can't go in. Um yeah. so he comes into the ladies, right? So but it's it's not an issue, right? Because there's other women in there with their kids, right? But wow, yeah. with you, it must have been like, hello, there's yeah. this girl doing in here. Yeah, well, with, with my daughter, she, since she's so talkative, sometimes she just walks in and says hello to everybody. And, you know. And oh, that's funny. You're, you're very focused on doing what you're doing, right? And then if nobody really. So no, never been in one. <laughs> That's that un that's that unwritten rule, right? Just go yeah. in there and do your, and then leave. Yeah, don't talk. Uh, but she would she'd go in there and be like, Hi everyone, what's going on? And then like people are like looking at me and it was time to feel like I was gonna get punched out a few times. Um but then, you know, the men's room, you know, is pretty disgusting too, right? You know, you gotta put her on the toilet and try to teach her how to at least go um yeah. without touching anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are like little awkward situations that I put myself into that, um, but you do it, right? As a parent, you, you do things and sometimes you try to make light of it many years later and yeah. look back at it. Um, but there, there's, you know, kids, they ask a lot of funny questions, especially in the bathroom and things that you don't want to hear about or do. Like, why is that man standing there, you know, with his pants around his yeah. Well, that's how he goes, you know. It's like I can't help you, and she she's like asking questions and she's other right. things. But you know, why did well, that and, man just walk out without washing his hands? And I'm like, I don't have an answer. I'd love her. I'd love her calling people out like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's funny. Does. 
Yeah, no, that's so funny. Well, this is the thing, right? And in a in a female toilet, right? We're all in cubicles. We're not all standing out there on display, right? We're all on cubicles. So it would be a bit bizarre. Um, but yeah, no, well, fair enough, fair enough. Well, and, and also I suppose were there any times you had to be very careful because you were male, she was, you know, female, daughter, father, situations where people might question question you about anything? More so people were just more surprised, right? You know, a single oh, okay. dad. Um, yeah, I, again, I did my best to dress her appropriately. I tried my best to dress her um, in, 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 in clothes that, that she would enjoy, right? It's not like when I look at my baby pictures, my parents put me in like a blue shirt with a red pants, you know, I mean, yeah. that was... That was probably, I'm not sure what they were thinking back then, but, you know, I try not to replicate that same aspect. Um, but, you know, there, there are certain times that we, we have gotten into some challenges, especially on the registration for kindergarten, where it wow. asks you, you know, are you married? Are you single? You know, divorce? They had everything, but it didn't say anything about being a widower or a widow wow. or anything like that. So I, I couldn't register her because it was done online, and I could. I, there was nothing for me to check. And when I talked to the front office, I said, well, "What do I do?" Oh, just put down single. I'm like, "No, no, no. You, you well, have to. You have to make sure it's appropriate because kids today." They understand the stereotyping. They understand the label. And teachers have to understand that not every child comes from the same type of household. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. When she was in preschool, my daughter, they were making something for Mother's Day, something very much of a homework holiday. And my daughter didn't do anything. Because the words they use, it's let's make something for your mom. She doesn't have one. She didn't understand, right? But if they would have said you can make something for your mom, your aunt, you know, your grandma or something, she would have just been going there. But yeah. they didn't do that. And so when they asked her why she wasn't making anything for her mom, she remarked, my mom is dead. What do you want me to do now? And I got the call because she exhibited hostility. You know, hostility to the teacher, and I had to come pick her up. And I said, "You guys, to read the file." But again, it's all the check marks and what is on that registration. That's where yeah. it's really critical as single parents is that they conform to what type of household we have. Our household wow. is much That's unbelievable. Well, so we've got Father's Day coming up soon um, here in Australia. And basically um, they actually, so there's a, they have Father's Day stalls at the schools and they actually, and, I'm, and my son's school has got, um, so Father's Day stall or your special, or your special, or another special, like a special person. I can't remember how they word it, but like a grandfather or a grandparent or whatever. And my son every year for Mother's Day buys a pen for me that says I love my mum or whatever on it. But last year, all the I love my mum pens have gone, or this earlier this year. So I've got a I love you Nana pen, but um, hey, that's okay. 
I don't want him to make me a nana. But um, but yeah, so they they sort of include everyone just because of the situation that you're stating, right? And like people become single parents for so many different reasons. It's not because they've gone for a divorce um, or anything like that. So that's, yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah, there's just... There's no uh, blueprint. There's real, I mean, when it comes to parenting, there's no blueprint, right? And some some people just kind of catch on. They, they swing it as they go. Others don't want to make it more of a priority that they be heard. And again, there, there is no right or wrong, in my opinion. I think no. we all are swimming in the same direction, advocating for our children and trying to be the best role model. Um, it'd be interesting if you talked to them 20 years later, what they thought about growing up in yeah. our household. Um, but we try to give them the values. We try to teach them to be more accepting. And a lot of times people will say, well, what's it like having a daughter and raising her on your own? I don't know what the difference is. If I, well, I, don't know what, I don't know what it's like to raise two children. You know, I mean, that's just going to say the same thing to others. Who have two children or three children? Like, how do you balance out three children all at once? And so, it, it, it's interesting when you put when you change it to that perspective. People are like, huh? That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. And like, so, how did you deal with the death of? How did you deal with the death of your wife, the death of your daughter's mother, with your daughter? Because like, she was so young, so. In a way, but but then, I mean, 16 months, right? But how did it affect her? I can imagine that she can't really remember very much, but, like, how do you then keep her mother's memory alive? Because, I mean, it's important. Very important. And there are some people who go through grief that just don't want to talk about it. They don't want yeah. to mention anything and they basically shut down and that's what they like to do. For me, you know, my daughter was so young. So when it happened, I, I, I just not like I had to sit and break the news to her. Yeah. But over time, there are certain things that I would share with her. For instance, when I talked about her mother and how she ended up passing away, I would use the term that she had an illness. Not that she was sick, because when kids get sick with a cold and a sniffle, they use, you know, the word sick here. But yeah. if they hear the word illness, it's a whole different dynamic of right. what their mindset is. So it doesn't scare her. So she knows that her mother had an illness and her mother wasn't sick. So when I take my daughter to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, Zoe, you're sick. She's like, yeah. oh, OK, I'm not going to end up like my mother. But. Which is, which is pretty life. important to think about, really. I would never have thought about that. But it is pretty important, right? Because kids worry about the craziest of things. Yes. And something like that would be, we could cause angst. It, it does. And, and again, I think little things that do matter as we go through the details and how we keep that memory alive, right? We, we celebrate the anniversary of her passing with a celebration. We go out for dinner, we, we celebrate, and we just make it known. Her birthday, um, other things like that. We, we, we do make sure that her memory is with us. And yeah. I think it's important for her to know that her mother 
really loved her. And the storybook ending that I like to share with people to help kind of close a little bit of that uncertainty and that grief is when my wife, and I did not even know at that moment when it was time for her to go, was I brought our daughter to the hospital. She came with my in-laws that morning. And my wife was cuddling with her and gave her a kiss and everything. It was time to go to lunch. My wife wanted to go to sleep. I find comfort knowing that it wasn't me was the last image that my wife saw. It was her daughter. And that's what she wanted to see. And that's how the storybook ending. So when I share yeah. this with my daughter, she feels kind of special. Well, exactly. Well, she mother, should do. Yeah, that her yeah. mother, the last person she kissed, the last person she saw was her. Not me, not anybody else, not a nurse, not a you know a doctor or anything. It was the daughter. And that helps with that coping too, right? Yeah. Like when we have experienced something that we feel that that storybook ending, it not only helps the children, but it also helps us find some of the therapeutic ways to get through some of those yeah. tough days and challenges. And that's why I'm able to speak more openly had I not had that opportunity and I wasn't present if that would have happened. But yeah. um, but we celebrate her all the time and we keep her spirit alive. And that's what the book is also for. We are, my wife's legacy is the stories that we tell that enable others to continue to experience yeah. life that she had. No, exactly, exactly. And it, I think it's so important to like... Did your did your daughter get to a certain age where she asked a lot of questions, like, or was it just all the way through? Like, even now, I think it was all it was all the way through. I mean, some of the questions were just more point blank at the time. You know, why did mommy have to die? Why did mommy wow. get you know illness? And why did this? Why? But then the questions started changing. It's like, wow, what could we have done? What could you have done? Um, oh, more right. understanding, more understanding is more of the root cause, and that's yeah. kind of how she she is very much a mini me in terms of how we think from a risk management standpoint. Yeah, um, but she is every bit of my wife in terms of the personality and the humor, um, and the softness. And it's it's funny how the kids have a blended balance sometimes of both parents and sometimes they should. Yeah. Out. But in terms of her level of thinking, you know, she she thinks about her questions before she yeah. asks. It's you know, interesting how you said the questions change, like and almost like she's gone through, although she was so young, she's gone through a grieving process with her mum as well, right? Because um, being so young, you don't obviously have a similar attachment like you would have done to your wife, right? And the fact that it's your wife and you've loved her and married her and all of those sort of things, but it's your mum, but like you wouldn't have experienced, like I, I, it's different, I suppose, the different ages you are. So being so young, then she's going yeah. through her grieving throughout her life as such, the anger of why did it happen to us and then what can we do and why and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny where 
depending on your faith, depending on your views, right? Um, I believe in the heavens and I believe that uh, our, we ascend when we pass. And there were times where my daughter and I, as we would get into bedtime routines and she wanted to stay up a little bit later, right? You know, an extra 10, 15 minutes to it. Oh, yeah. It's it's like makes a world of a different, you know. And and sometimes as a parent, we're so tired oh, at the end of the day. Yes. Um, and she'll throw out that card on. Well, I think mommy would want me to stay up fifteen minutes so I can hear another story. Now sometimes say, well, I think mommy says it's time to go to bed because she wants to go to bed because she's been watching over you all day and you've been yeah. running around in circles. So it's funny how we sort of play off with each other. Um, but I've always told her that you know she's got the best of both worlds. She's got me here and then she's got her mother yeah. watching from afar. And there are times where I do believe that my daughter has gotten into some challenges and tough jams and suddenly just came out of there like without any issues right and wow. i do believe that it's her mother yeah. that is protecting her yeah and that kind of brings me to my next point right as parents you know it was we're so invested with our children and at the end of the day was so exhausted um my daughter's 15 right i still put her to bed at night she wants me to put her to bed that's and okay. People will say, hey, how long are you going to continue this for? And I think about all those parents that don't have that opportunity anymore. And that's what motivates me to keep doing it. There's going to be a day she's going to say, Dad, you don't need to put me to bed anymore. I'll go to bed on my own. And until that day comes, it means I'm doing my job. And I think that's where we can give back as parents is our time, our memories yeah. that we create with our children that they can take with them for a lifetime. Yeah. I, I must admit when there's been challenging times where I've just gone, oh, my God, please go to sleep because he's like <laughs> jabbering away and all I want to do is like get on with stuff in the house. And <laughs> I am. Um, I go, I have to tell myself, you know, this is special, right? And exactly like what you say, right? Some parents don't get a chance to do this. And um and also, like, it won't be forever. Well, that's what I keep saying to myself. Although now you've just told me you still put your daughter to bed at 15, right? So I'm going, because I'm thinking, oh, I'll probably have another two, three years of this. And then he'll be like, no, ma'am, I'm all right, thanks, you know. But, um, yeah, God, crikey. You'd be surprised. They, yeah. they formed that attachment. Uh, I mean, I, I was informed that I'm going back to college. Because when my daughter goes to college, she wants me to come with her. Um, I think my that son will... says he's never going to leave. Right? He's never going to move yeah. out. And I'm like, no, no, no. You you can move out. You can go to. He's got a British passport as well as an Australian passport. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want you to experience the world. Go to the UK. Go see your uncle. Go see your nephew, your cousins, my nephews. Go experience the world. Go work over there. Do whatever. It'll be great. Give yes. mommy a break. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, like I said, I mean, children today, the way they adapt is really, I feel, how we handle. And if, if they see that we're okay as parents, they're okay. Yeah. And yeah. Did you, did you ever 
did you get counseling for the grief and all of that stuff or was that the writing and you, yeah yeah i did not get counseling for the grief itself i i that was all just going through Dealing different with phases just pushing ahead the writing of the book did help bring out some additional emotions and again looking back at the accomplishments like oh my gosh yeah we all handle grief differently and i in my book i talk about you know life is like a roller coaster you know we go up and down some people put their hands up some people sit close you know to their chest they you know their hands some people scream some people cry some people get sick afterwards right but at the end of the day you're you're always at the same place is where you started when the roller coaster end and i think oh, that's yeah. how our perceptions of life we have that ability to change we have that ability to take something that is tragic and use it for the greater good yeah. such as trying to help others yeah no exactly exactly how how long did your grief last how long i mean i don't think i think it dissipates for want of a better word but like it, i think how long does it take you to get over that I think we have been many fate. I mean, we never really truly get over no. our, our loss. But what happens is, is that we have the opportunity to say that grief isn't going to impact us. Or we're not going to move yeah. outside of our bedroom or outside of our four walls. Um, I decided very early on that I was not going to let the grief stop me from doing anything. Again, just make sure that when... I go out and about, I hold myself high, and if I need to have a private moment to break down, you know, I can allow myself to do that. Yeah. Um, but I decided that I wasn't going to turn a moment of, you know, mourning into a lifetime. Yeah. And that's why we celebrate life. And yeah. We celebrate the milestones, the accomplishments. Um, but again, it's easier said than done. A lot of people who are in these situations just can't see. And grief comes in different phases, right? Sometimes people don't experience grief until weeks or months later because yeah. they're still in shock of what just happened. Um, you know, You've just got to give yourself time, I think, haven't you, to, to get through. Um, and it can be all different time frames, can't it? It can be like a year, it can be five years, it can be, it doesn't mean to say that you think of that person any less. Um, it's just how you deal with the situation yourself. And sometimes counselling helps. Sometimes you can get through it without counselling and, and deal with situations um, like you did or write a book, yeah. get it down on paper, talk about it. It depends. It, everyone deals with it in different ways, don't they? That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it has to also, what type of loss, if it's sudden loss, like a tragic yeah. accident or a passing due to a medical condition that unfortunately versus something that's more long-term. I think sometimes selfishly people who have more of a long-term grieving process in terms of like an illness of some sort. Yeah. Like we're, we're sort of preparing for the unknown 
So it's not as shocking as opposed to a sudden loss. And I think sometimes differences of people and their perception, a sudden loss could take much more greater impact because of that shocking part of it. Yeah, because you're not, you've not got that period of time to prepare to say what you say, what you need to say to that person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So your book, Keep Those Feet Moving, um, where can people get it from? If they are going through this, they want to read it and or want to even just understand your story. Well, well, thank you for the opportunity for me to share. So there are two places. One, you can go to keepthosefeetmoving.com, which is our website. And you can download or excuse me, buy the book from there and through Amazon. There's a link that, or you can just go to Amazon.com, look for Keep Those Feet Moving by AJ Coleman, and you will see um, the book. We also have ebooks as well for those that like to read electronically and not have to physically hold a page by page type book. Um, but the book is really designed to walk you through eight different steps of my life where I've experienced grief, not necessarily just from a loss of my wife, but grief with a disability, grief of loss of a job, grief of loss of companionship, spirituality. And within the book, it challenges you through little exercises to kind of formulate your own strengths and see where you want to grow internally, both professionally as well as personally. Uh, it's designed to be light reading in a sense of you can get through it in a couple hours. If you take it on a plane, you can probably finish it within a three-hour plane ride. Wow. Crikey. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, can people contact, if people want to speak to you directly, that like they can contact you via your Keep your feet, keep those feet moving.com. They can contact you through yes. there. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. And look, I've got AJ, thank you for today. Um, thank you for like opening up to us because like grief's hard, like it's really hard. Um, and to open up to people, um, I'm a person who tends to like to keep that sort of down on the low low down um but um i just um your honesty has been really good thank you for you know being honest with us and it's hard when you've got kids as well right it's not just about you then dealing with it uh, it's about your kids dealing with it as well um look i've got one final question for you um what piece of advice was given to you that you still use today my favorite advice of all time is something my grandfather used to say, every day is a good day. And that's something that I take with me every day. I know my cousins and my uncle do the same. And it really resonates, no matter how difficult your day may be, the challenges that you face, every day is still a good day. Yeah. And you have the opportunity at nighttime to recycle, recharge, for the next day. And when times are tough, you just have to keep those feet moving. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. 
And if you're having a bad day, just go to bed because tomorrow's another day, right? You'll wake up and it'll be completely different. It's yeah, it's it's amazing how that happens. So um, yeah, no, look, thank you again. I'm gonna let you get on your merry way. Um, but yeah, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful opportunity this is. I, I hope to inspire others to follow the footsteps. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.